What made us successful from day one and created this instant growth was an extreme focus on simplicity. Not only in how to use the product, but also to how you sign up as a user to make that extremely simple. And we've tried to carry that over to all the innovation we've done since. And we are back for Series 3 of Transformation Stories from the award-winning Veltec Café. This series, we're talking innovation, commerce, emotive marketing, and career changes. We'll also dip into trends in fintech, digital health, retail, mobility, manufacturing, and speak to CEOs, CDOs, SMEs, and lots of other acronyms too. As always, you can expect gloriously unscripted discussions that shed an open and transparent light on the ebb and flow of our digital world. I'm Tizzy Philp, and welcome to the podcast. Over the last two series, we've spoken to a number of brands who are looking to innovate, whether with already mature in-house innovation teams, those just starting the process of understanding how to build agility and responsiveness into organisations, or indeed those built on a foundation of continuous innovation as standard. From mobility to health, retail to travel, each of them shares the same ambition, to deliver a better customer experience. To find the products, processes, or future state that will give them edge, that will help them to capture new audiences, or that will help them to respond to the changing expectations of a loyal customer base. In today's interview, I'm very happy to be joined by Klaus Buchenborg, CEO of mobile payments firm MobilePay. Together, we'll discuss how what started as an experiment became a service used by 98% of the Danish population and accounts for 57% of all e-commerce payments in the region. So a good experiment, we might say. Klaus, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. I mentioned there in the introduction that mobile pay had started as an experiment. For more context uh, for the audience, it was part of a plan by Danske Bank to explore the mobile payments business. Can you tell us more about that and how it came about? And perhaps let's also start with an introduction to you. Yeah, thank you. I'm, uh, as you mentioned, I'm the CEO of Mobile Pay. I've been that for the last three years. Uh, I spent the first 10 years or so of my working life as a consultant. And then I joined Danske Bank Group in 2006. And I've been working a lot on digital transformation across various areas of the bank. Mobile Pay and, and, and how we began, well, Danske Bank had launched a, a mobile banking app a few years previously to, to the launch of Mobile Pay, and that mobile banking app had gotten quite a, a, a big hype around it. Uh, and Danske Bank was really seen as a digital uh, front runner, and and there was a lot of attention in the uh, executive board on on you know what what could sort of a digital be used for in terms of branding and and delivering new services and differentiate yourself in a market especially in retail banking, where products are quite uh, similar between uh, the various players. And then there was a very uh, enthusiastic team, a handful of people in the bank that, that said, okay, we think mobile payments is, is the new big thing. And they really pushed a lot for you know, getting some funding to a, to a project. 
And at least two executives in, in the bank said, okay, it seems like there's something here. We should build on this uh, experience from, from mobile banking. Uh, so, so the team got some funding and it was also very quickly realized that they needed to be kept separate from the sort of traditional way of doing development projects in the bank. So not be tied by all the heavy governance and so on. So they were given large degrees of freedom uh, to do something different and uh, with a lot of support. So, you know, it, it, it was kept sort of on, on the side of, of, of the bank. And the team was luckily, you could say, comprised of a very creative bunch of people who asked themselves, what is actually the biggest problem in, in payments and where mobile can solve a real issue? A lot of the other initiatives that had gone on in, in the world at that point in time, we're talking 2012 now, focused on in-store payments. So how can you pay with your mobile in, when you're in the supermarket? And, and we quickly, or the team quickly realized, I was not part of that at that point. Somehow I was standing in the background and applauding, but that was my role at that point in time. But but the team quickly realized that the biggest problem was not paying in, in a shop, especially not in, in the Nordic countries, because everybody has a card and all shops accepted cards. But it was actually the fact that we already at that point in time had become cashless societies. So it was payment between friends where you don't carry cash anymore. You know, you, we have to share the cost of a of a pizza and the beer you shared last night. Somebody knocks on your door, an NGO that wants to collect money for a good cause. You know, oh, I don't have any cash. I actually want to, to, to help you, but I don't carry cash anymore. So the team focused on, on that type of payments, payments between friends or P2P payments, as it's also called. And then they looked at the business model and said, okay, as a bank, for obvious reasons, you, you normally produce solutions for your own customers. But in order to become truly successful as a, as a payment solution, they came up with the idea that we should build a solution for all Danes, all Finns, all Norwegians, uh, no matter which bank you, you had, and, and not build a solution that was just tied just to users of one bank. Because that would drive up adoption, and in a small country like ours, you know, you need as many users as possible because uh, otherwise it won't fly. And they had other creative ideas like that, an extreme focus on simplicity, uh, on the user experience, and they were allowed to have this, you could say, quite unique and different approach because they were kept outside the ways it would normally be done uh, in the bank. In in many ways, it was an experiment. It was something that was orchestrated in a, in a very differently from how things, at least at that point in time, were done normally in the bank. And it, on the one hand, it had the support of the executive board, but on the other hand, it was also kept separate from the normal ways of doing things in the bank. And it was kept physically separate as well, that team, is that right? Yeah. Yes, quite quickly after the uh, the launch, uh, you know, the, the team was moved into a, uh, I think it was an abandoned branch at that point in time, we were closing a lot of branches. So so they were also kept physically separate because there was this sense that they, they should not be disturbed you know, by by the bank and uh, the ways of working of the bank in, in, in any way. So processes, but also physically, yes. I think that's so that's so interesting that they that that situation uh, happened like that but also very very interesting we're going to talk about it in in a little bit more detail later as well the the result of that you're talking about meeting the needs of a real they recognized a real customer need here in yeah. creating this this yeah. um solution was it an instant success 
It definitely was. In the first months, we grew with 100,000 new users uh, per month. And that, that actually continued until the situation we have today, where we have 95, 98% of, of the uh, population in, in Denmark uh, uh, as users. And of course, it helped that Danske Bank, it's the big incumbent bank in Denmark, about 30% market share. So it was first launched to all employees, and then they started send, sending money to all their friends. And uh, the team also came up with a quite uh, creative idea there that when you send money to somebody who is not yet a user, that receiver will get a text message that says, there's some uh, money waiting for you, download the app uh, to get your money. So it had this viral uh, element that also fueled the growth. But there was also a lot of uh, media hype, uh, media attention around this. Uh, we were uh, competing with another solution uh, launched by all the other banks in Denmark, and they launched five weeks uh, later than us. But there was a lot of media attention on, you know, who will who will get there first, and uh, that also continued in the, in the years after, who will launch new a new product, a immersion solution, and so on first. Uh, so we were helped a lot by that media attention as well, uh, definitely. We then also launched uh, in Finland, also in in 2013, and then later on also in Norway. And there, the growth was much uh, slower. Danske Bank is a smaller bank in, in those markets, and uh, there were yeah, other competing solutions. It's quite an interesting uh, concept, isn't it? Once you start an innovation like this, you're then almost trapped into continuous innovation. You're yeah. talking about the competition that you're facing. Yeah. That's quite difficult to then have to maintain. The pressure's then really on. Did you feel that? Did the team feel that? Uh, absolutely. You could say that. It was born as this experiment, and as I mentioned, with, with support from, from the executive board. And one of the elements of that support was we need a Nordic alternative to the, this potential threat from the big US and Chinese or, or European uh, payment solutions that are, are emerging. We don't know what it should look like, but mm. let's, let's try out something here. Mm. But nobody had imagined this instant uh, success. So quite quickly, we also had on our hands something that, you know, that operationally was much bigger than we were prepared to handle. And of course, there was then also a, a pressure, a demand uh, from the market that we should develop uh, further solutions, not only for the person-to-person -person transfers, but also mm -hmm. so that you could pay with mobile pay in shops uh, online and so forth. And we launched those solutions over the years so that we today have a full suite of, of, of products. But it, it's difficult to stop once you have this success on your hand and, and the ball <laughs> is rolling and you a, may... A victim of your own success, yeah. Yeah, because the, the commercial model, the business model, and, and operationally, you we weren't set up to, to handle that. But on the other hand, there was so much enthusiasm, not only from the uh, from the team, but also from the bank to support on, on this journey. But we had never imagined that we would be in the position we are in today uh, in terms of number of users and transactions and so on. And how about size of company? So you started at 15 people. Where are you at now? Yeah, so we started there with a, with a, a handful of, or two of, of people from business and, and IT. And today we are 380 people working with mobile pay across Denmark and Finland. We pulled out of, of Norway, but we are actually coming back to Norway now in a sense because we are merging with VIPS, which is our Norwegian counterpart. So we will become now a 700-people uh, company uh, once, once the merger has been, been implemented. So now, moving from a challenge of 
understanding how to successfully scale, where mm-hmm. to put your investment, how to continue the, the success of the business, you're still growing. Mm-hmm. Is everything going well from a financial perspective? Are we seeing that there's profitability there at the moment or is that still a challenge too? How is the scale so the, the, it's a bit of a, a two-sided story, right? Because on the one hand, fantastic growth, almost all Danes and uh, in, in Finns, in Finland, more than half the population is using us. 200,000 merchants accept payment with mobile pay. Uh, our users are extremely active. So they, they almost do a transaction every second day. So compared to many of the other mobile payment solutions out there, a lot of, of activity, hmm. half of all our transactions are uh, not only between people, but but in in shops, whether physically or online, yeah. and those transactions are paid for. And on the top line, we have forty uh, percent growth year on year, and especially in online, it's it's almost hundred hundred percent growth. A lot fueled by the the pandemic, obviously, yeah. but also by the the simple user experience. So a lot of growth, also financially. But on the other hand, we are not profitable yet. Uh, a couple of reasons for that. Uh, one is that of those 200,000 merchants we have, you need to do a lot of uh, anti-money laundering, mm-hmm. monitoring to handle those. When we onboard uh, new merchants, there's a lot of activities going on in establishing who is actually owning this small football club, who is actually in, where do the, the funds in, end up. And the earnings potential on those very small merchants, where we have quite many of those uh, small associations and so on, so the earnings potential on each individual merchant versus the cost we actually spent on doing all these uh, compliance controls, uh, well, it, it, it doesn't match up. And then we lack scale. On the one hand, as I said, in, in Denmark, 95, 98% of the population is using us. In Finland, half of the population, but it, it's still not enough because the cost of, of the IT development that is needed to continuously launch new innovative product the operational costs of anti-money laundering. Mm-hmm. It doesn't match, you could say, the, the scale potential if we are only in Denmark or in Finland. And that's why we're doing the merger with VIPs now, simply yeah. to get to get more scale, to only have to develop uh, the products once because the product stack we have and the VIPs have is 80% or so the same. We will harvest the synergies of that uh, merger and then reuse all those 300 plus IT developers that we will have to keep up the pace on, on innovation and launching new products. And the journey doesn't stop there. Uh, we, if you look across Europe, there are maybe 15, 20 other domestic mobile payment wallets like us, and each struggle with being subscale. If we are in the long run, are going to be competitive compared with the big Chinese and the US players, mm. uh, we need European scale. So. Mm. One way or the other, we we need to go there over the, the coming years. So the the story so far, we have this brilliant internal creative team who've come up with an idea at Danske mm-hmm. Bank. It's got buy-in from the senior leadership. Mm-hmm. It's become something huge, seemingly a huge success, rapid mm-hmm. scale, huge customer base. You've clearly met the needs of the customers. Now, of course, there's the challenge of competition and profitability, undeniably a challenge but a challenge met by most startups or Mm scale-ups certainly who are coming up with a a new product like this Mm -hmm. it is a challenge for you I suppose you have the umbrella still of Danske Bank supporting Mm -hmm. you is there a level of reassurance in that that you're part of that that bigger entity 
and I guess that offers you a level of protection that maybe some other startups wouldn't have. Certainly, I, I, I think there are good and bad is probably too harsh a <laughs> word, but, the, but but there are pros and cons of, of, of being owned by a bank. So as an investor, Danske Bank and other banks, uh, also the banks will be owned by in the future after the merger, you know, they are in here for the long run. They see this as an investment in, in you could say, protection from the threat from the, the, the big techs and the, and the, and the other fintechs uh, in this world. And also branding wise, we, you know, we have an extremely strong brand in these various brand surveys. We are in, in the top three. So we compete with Lego bricks, for instance, here in Denmark on being the most valued brand. That brings a lot of leverage back to the bank. And especially in a situation where the banks are changing their business model, closing down the branch network, you know, the whole way a bank serves its customers is, is, is changing radically in, in these years and has been over the last five to 10 years. And their mobile pay and, and VIPs are, you know, one of the new ways of banking and, and, and from a bank's point of view of, you know, of bringing services to customers, especially mm -hmm. to the, to the consumers. So the bank is here for the long run. They want to invest in us going forward. And it's not like we, you know, we don't have for three or six months have to go back to, to our investor and, and ask for a new capital in injection and, and have that uncertainty. On the other hand, of course, the bank would like a solution like ours to be maybe not hugely profitable, but at least, you know, balanced. And again, this merger with, with VIPs uh, is one way to get closer to, to that situation. So by having more scale, well, there is a, a bigger chance that we will get to a break even in, in the near future. Do you find that the connection to Danske Bank is also important when it comes to your customers from a trust perspective in using the services. Does that help? Do you think that's given them them a level of reassurance? Absolutely. And not just to Danske Bank as our owner, but we have a partnership agreement in Denmark with, with virtually all uh, retail banks. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the fact that we are part of the banking community, you could say, and, and, and collaborate uh, with, with basically all, all banks in Denmark, Lips does the same in Norway. You know, it, it gives a consumer or a merchant for that matter, reassurance that if something goes wrong, if uh, there is a fraud, if you send money to somebody who shouldn't, that you shouldn't have sent them to, or, you know, something like that, that you can contact either us or the bank and we collaborate and, and we'll help you out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That we battle financial crime jointly with the banks and so on. That's certainly, when we do customer surveys, it, it's quite clear that the bank ownership uh, and the bank, the relationship with all banks, uh, the partnership uh, with all banks gives reassurance. So when you as a consumer compare us to some unknown uh, fintech um, that is not bank owned, or you may know mm -hmm. the brand, but you don't know, you know, there's not a phone number maybe that you can call and with your complaint or, or maybe there's a phone number, but it's, it's in, a, in another country and so on, you know, yeah. that, that gives you a reassurance. Absolutely. So next steps, am I right in thinking that all of this success and scale and growth has happened without any formal marketing? As a marketer myself, that is where my interest lies. This, this success has happened without formal marketing, is that right? Uh, not completely, but okay. the, the initial growth was very much driven by uh, virally, uh, you could say, with very mm -hmm. simple, simple marketing, let's, if you can call it that. <laughs> But well, then obviously, as we have started to introduce new products, like the version products, of course, we do marketing in order to, to make sure that there's awareness of 
the fact that you can pay online and you can pay in a shop when you, when you are in, in the supermarket, there needs to be, you know, we need to be visible because otherwise the muscle memory of pulling out your cart uh, takes over. So you need it's to be strong. <laughs> you, you need to be reminded that, that there are alternative ways to pay. And in some cases like online, where we also can provide a very unique user experience, mm-hmm. it happens almost by itself. Uh, both the merchants and, and, and all the players involved are very eager to, to make us visible because we drive up conversion rates in online sales. Whereas in other areas like uh, recurring bill payments, uh, that happens just in the background, you, your electricity bill gets automatically paid. It takes more marketing and information you know, to make you aware that you can actually pay the, your bills in a, in a different manner. So we do spend money on, on marketing and we spend more in Finland where we have fewer users, less activity than in Denmark where uh, yeah, we have a higher penetration rate. You mentioned the merger, so that's mm-hmm. obviously you know uh, going to help propel things even further. Mm-hmm. This is a successful endeavor. This is great, mm-hmm. but for you, it's also a huge change in you know your experience and where you've come from, from your your background in kind of the more traditional banking approach. I'm really interested in what this has been like as an experience for you. You know, what has it taught you and what has it shown you apart from having to wait you know uh, more than a year to get the approval from the competition authorities <laughs> then it has been an extremely positive experience vips is very much alike mobile pay our vision our values are the same our product stack look the same we have the same way of striving for you know delivering extreme simplicity to our users and we've done that very much uh, in, in the same way and of course been inspired by each other as well over the years and not only between me and Una Gabo or my counterpart in, in VIPS but between the, the the teams and also between the owner banks of, of VIPS uh, VIPS is owned by all Norwegian banks mobile mm-hmm. pay is owned only by, by Danske Bank mm-hmm. but you know at, at all levels uh, owners uh, management and, and the teams and so on it's been very clear from day one that we really share a vision here and we want to do the same thing and we want to do this merger and get scale for the same reason. So for me, it's really been highly motivating to see, you know, whether we can could find a partner out there that want, we want to do the same, have the same level of ambition. Also, of course, owners that want to keep on investing at the same level in us going mm-hmm. forward and take this to the next level because if this merger didn't happen, of course, there would be a risk that, you know, we would never get profitable and uh, that we would have to scale down and, you know, it would just be cost sharing and no new growth, uh, no new in- innovation. So for me, it's really, really been, been exciting to to sense and, and experience in, in practice that that there is somebody out there that uh, is the right partner for us. It, yeah. It's almost like, you know, like a marriage uh, that... that uh, <laughs> Uh, of course, you have con- you have concerns. You 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 can have doubts. Okay, is this the right choice and so on? But uh, so far, this has only been a, a happy relationship. So um, I'm very, very very excited to continue this journey. Good to hear. And you did mention just there the word innovation, and I mentioned mm-hmm. that in the start of framing this conversation as as well around how do you make innovation successful, mm-hmm. and what does success actually mean? Is that scale? Is that growth? Is that purely profitability? Mm-hmm. 
what's this taught you this whole process taught you around innovation would you have done anything differently or did it shock you in any way no i think what made us successful from day one and created this instant growth was an extreme focus on simplicity not only in how to use the product but also to how you sign up as a user to make that extremely simple and we've tried to carry that over to all the innovation we've done since and it's also the keyword for the merger actually and where we have succeeded is where we have been able to deliver on that promise of simplicity and where we haven't succeeded so much is when we for various reasons haven't been able to deliver uh, simplicity either because we've forgotten to do it or you know we've made too many trade-offs or legal reasons or whatever so sticking to that core you could say uh, reason of, of being here. Why, why do we exist? We exist in order to deliver simplicity to uh, our users and, and to the merchants. That has been key and, and that, that needs to be the, the key for us going forward because otherwise we can't compete. Uh, what I would have done differently, so there were some trade-offs, some choices, trade-offs in the past that I regret the, the, that we made where we didn't deliver on that simplicity. And then, I, of course, I also have to be honest and say that no, I wish that we maybe had focused a bit more on, on the commercial aspects uh, earlier on uh, because uh, it, it is hard to catch up when you over the years, you know, haven't found the, the golden key to to become profitable earlier. And there, there are obviously choices we could have made earlier on, like this merger that would have helped us on, on that journey. And, and it's a fine balance, you know, how much time do you spend on experimenting and keep on innovating by doing experiments and how much do you pursue a more traditional commercial path and and uh, maybe the balance there hasn't been as it should have been over the years um, yeah. I think that's quite that's quite a big one to, to talk about actually is this idea that just because you're successful doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be profitable mm. but a lot of people a lot of businesses wouldn't necessarily have the people within their organization who are able to give them that guidance on no and and where to invest in how and, and I think you to you can only to a certain extent compare us with other startups and companies because we were born out of a bank yeah. and we are in this uh, collaboration with all banks and we exist for not only to become a successful business we also exist and are owned we are owned by banks who want us to be uh, and, and invest in us as an alternative distribution channel basically mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so we fulfill other purposes and banks especially you know large retail banks also have obligations to society uh to to help on the whole digital transformation of society and so on and we play a big important role in that and that of course justifies to a certain extent that we are not profitable because we fulfill other purposes and then but then you can discuss you know how much goes into that bucket and how much should we then um we need to be a bit schizophrenic you know some days we make choices because we are have that role but other days we need to make traditional commercial choices if you like and it has not always been, to be completely honest, in a way, it's not always been clear when we made choices, did we do it for one reason or the other? And at the same time, we've been on this growth curve. So so it's also been difficult to project, okay, if we do this, how would it actually uh, play out in, in, yeah. in a year or two or three? Because there's yeah. been so many moving parts. 
new competitors coming in, uh, Apple Pay, Google Pay, and so on. But of course, it's been an ongoing discussion with our owners. You know, are you happy with the way that we we develop and 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 how we that we will of course need need uh, funding uh, to support this this uh, the uncertainty we have. Are you happy with that level of uncertainty? And they have certainly been been happy with that. So the future certainly looks bright for mobile pay. Mm-hmm. What's your take on the rest of the industry as a whole? There's a huge change. You mentioned it earlier in our conversation, even over mm-hmm. the last five, ten years, of course, but even more recently, you know, the last two, three years mm-hmm. in the in the wave past COVID. What what are you excited about for the industry? So I, I think there's a lot of innovation growth ahead of us. I think there's a lot of uh, user experiences where we still haven't cracked the nut and where there's a lot of, mm. uh, you know, big differences we, we can we can make uh, both to users and to merchants. I think it's very obvious that when you look at the whole payments industry as such, there's a lot of fragmentation and everybody, not only us in the, uh, the, the mobile wallets, struggle with not having enough scale. It, it's across all parts of the payments industry. Payments is probably the fintech area where there are most new players coming in, the most investments. Uh, payments is probably the industry where there's uh, the highest rate of mergers and acquisitions going on. Mm-hmm. So a lot of consolidation, a lot of new entrants, and more more consolidation is needed if we are going. We as an industry uh, and, and and the wide range of players that are active here are to become profitable. So it's not just us who have that. Uh, in mobile pay who have that issue but i'm super excited because there is this high level of of energy and motivation and and innovation and so many all the the, the fact that there are so many new players coming in also demonstrate that there's a lot of innovation going on there's a lot of need and and a lot of need because in, in in the nordic countries you know we have a uniquely high level of digital readiness and we're card acceptance and mm-hmm. digital IDs and all these prerequisites that have fueled our uh, our growth here and that we are more or less uh, in cashless societies today. But when you look at the rest of Europe, you just need to go south of the border here to Germany. You no, know, it's a completely different situation. Uh, cash is being used a lot more. And if you look uh, yeah, uh, to the US or, or the rest of the world, you know, uh, extremely fragmented banking market, the payments infrastructure are very fragmented. And of course there are some very big players, but they can move a lot, but there is a need for consolidation and for integration because uh, payments can only work smoothly if the underlying infrastructures are are connected. And unfortunately in many places of the world, also in Europe, uh, the infrastructures are not connected. So in many ways, a lot of work to be done, but also a lot of exciting work. Klaus, that was great talking to you today. Thank you so much for giving us the overview of mobile pay and everything that you've been doing. I said earlier, the future looks bright. I think it does. It's very exciting what's to come. We wish you lots of uh, luck with the, the merger. And thank you again for yeah. joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. You've been listening to the latest transformation series from Valtech Cafe. Hit subscribe to get access to our whole back catalogue of conversations. And if you'd like to know more about what we do, why not visit us at valtech.com for all the details. Until next time, thanks for listening.